0: Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is Celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning, welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join with us in Appleton and Stevens Point. And let's make a profession of our faith as we recite the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here. This morning, we're wrapping up our series entitled The Significant Events of the Old Testament with a cursory look at the life of King David we're ending with David it's just hitting a few highlights of his life I'd like to come back maybe later and take a real in-depth look at him but uh, we're wrapping this up uh, as we set forth uh, a new vision for Celebration Church things that we've always done before but we want to really focus more on now four points number one, we want people to know God number two, we want people to find and experience freedom Number three, we want people to discover their purpose. And number four, we want them to be able to make a difference. And this is what we're focusing on. Now, today I want to continue talking about this point, discovering your purpose. It was initially supposed to be a one-point, one-weekend sermon. It's turning into three because I'm really trying to make a point here with this purpose thing. Now, whenever you think about purpose or the idea of purpose pops up, people tend to focus right away and think about what it is that they do. It's all about doing. Uh, and the problem is that is that people often become obsessed by what they do, and then they start to let what they do define them. They think that they are it's the essence of who they are. But as I said in last week's message, what we do should not define us. Who we are is what defines us. We're referencing the life of King David. King David... Uh, was a great king, but he was a warrior, and that's what really set him apart, and he was an amazing, powerful warrior, but it's not what defined him. He was actually defined as a uh, prophet, as a minstrel, as a great leader, a powerful man, a man after God's own heart, despite the fact that he made some terrible, horrible mistakes. uh, He still was this man because of who he was on the inside. It wasn't just what he did on the outside that... Define them. But when we talk about purpose, often people right away get focused on, you know, what should I do? What's the will of God for me? What's my purpose? What's the will of God? And whenever we talk about will of God, people tend to get obsessed about this idea, well, what should I do? What should I do? Everything usually for people, the will of God is what do I do? Where do I go? What do I do? When in fact that's not what the scriptures emphasize when it talks about the will of God. It talks about who you are. You want the will of God? Look at the scriptures. The will of God is about Christ in you, the hope of glory, the kind of person you should be. That's the bulk of the uh, New Testament's teaching about the will of God. Has very little to do. There's parts of it, and we'll get into it more specifically in our final segment on this next week about what you do. But that is not the focus. The focus is who you are. Now, the younger you are, the more you tend to become obsessed about this idea about who you are. Though sometimes people can be in the midlife crisis and still struggling with what I do, what's God's will for me, what's God's will for me, and they get absolutely obsessed by it. We'll talk more about it next week, about how to approach that and uh, and look for the opportunities and how to know what to do. But generally speaking, uh, I think a lot of that is just left up to you. Again, I think God is much less concerned about what you do than who you are. Now, if he does have something very specific for you to do... He will let you know God is a big boy. Now, I don't understand this has been taught forever in Christian circles that I've been around. But this whole thing of discovering the will of God, one discovers the will of God by great prayer and fasting and begging and sitting before the Lord and seeking his face to find out what you should be doing. And I think that is a mistake. That is not what the scriptures teach. It honestly is not. You know, there were times in the Old Testament where they were talking about seeking the Lord in times of crisis and stuff, and some of that I think passes over to the New, but there's a difference between the Old and Testament. There's quite a few major differences in the Old and New Testament. You don't see that kind of talk in the New Testament. We have the Holy Spirit to guide and lead us. And Jesus gave an example once. He said, You know, if you, being evil, know how to be clear and give good things to your children, well, how much more are your Heavenly Father? The idea that God has a very specific plan for you and won't tell you is absurd to me. I reject it wholeheartedly, this concept that you have to beg and plead to find out what it is. If you, being evil, know how to communicate with your kids, how much more God? How many of you have children? You know, you're watching Steven's Point Appleton. Yeah, you, know, you have children. If you want your children to do something, do you tell them or do you wait until they seek your face? and beg you, oh mother, oh father, what is it thou desirest of me today? Please tell me, please. I'm sorry, I can't tell, please. I'm not ready, please tell me. It's ridiculous, hence the giggling. For heaven's sakes. If you are very clear with your kids, hey, clean your room. It looks like a litter box in there, all right? Fix it up, do this, do that. You're very clear. Why would God? Why? What is the purpose of God withholding His will? It's His will. He wants you to do it. Why? I know people who have been waiting 10, 15, 20 years and they still can't come up with the answer to what they should be doing. And in the church, they don't volunteer, they don't get involved anywhere because they're still waiting for God to tell them what to do. This is absurd. This teaching is nonsense. This idea that you have to beg to find out God's will. And in point of fact, again, the New Testament teaches about God's will, more about who you are, the kind of person you are, how you interact and treat others is more about the will of God than whatever job you have. If God doesn't make it really clear, just do whatever you can. We'll talk more about that next week. Now, in our growth track, we want to help people to discover their purpose. And part of that is what should you be doing? Um, We're going to... Uh, have you go through and discover some of the talents and motivation skills that you have innately in you and show you from this what it is that you can do? But this discovery process is not so you can get your sense of self worth and self discovery. Oh, this is who I am. This is what I should be doing. Oh. You know, now some of you might feel that way, but that's not the point of this. The point is so to show you now getting a sense of your skills and your motivation and stuff what is it that you can do? that you can serve God and others with. So in a very fundamental sense, every believer's purpose is to serve. Exactly what you do will help point you in those directions. And and we want to tap your best skills and abilities and motivations for the benefit of all. But it's more about serving. How do we serve people? now? we're going to look at the life of David again. We're going to peek over here in the Second Samuel, the 23rd chapter, verse 13. And we read, during harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors. Now, what they're talking about are these. They had a, David was a major, major warrior. He was a serious butt kicker. I mean, stunning. I've said this many times. I wish they would, Hollywood would do an accurate depiction of the life of David. You know, with some tough dude. You know, not Richard Gere, you know, doing his, you know. His. David was a major, and they never, they focus on all the other stuff that most of us are aware of. The point is a lot of this, he was an incredible warrior. And In some of the descriptions of some of the battles, things that he did, it was more than just him slinging a rocket Goliath. This guy was one scrappy, tough hombre. And as much as he did that, it still wasn't what defined him. But he was a major fighter, so this would inspire other fighters to step forward to follow him and join with him. So his whole group of guys were really tough guys. And uh, I wish we had time to read some of their accounts. Some of them, quite frankly, the way they're described, were tougher than David himself, which is really not unusual. Uh, You know, I know some people, there are the kind of leaders that get paranoid or insecure if they surround themselves with people who are better than them. I do not. I think a really good leader should be thrilled to have people better than them around them. All right? Uh, I'm not the most organized guy in the world. I have people who are much more organized than I am around me, thanks be to God. Uh, There's people with different skills. I want people to shine because it helps overall. So David, not only was he a great fighter, but he attracted guys that were really better fighters than he were. And, And they describe these, and then there's this group of 30, yo mama. Butt kickers, And I wish we had the time to read some of the stories. But then out of that, then there's the three. So the three are like, these guys are unreal. These men, you don't mess with these guys. These guys were unbelievably tough. Anyway, so three of these 30 chief warriors came down from David to David at the cave of Adullam while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. So it was one of these battle situations. He's over here, and the Philistines have this garrison. Our oh, garrison is 5,000 men. That's a lot of guys, and they're around Bethlehem. So anyway, verse 15, David longed for water. He was thirsty, and he just says out loud. He's not instructing anybody. He's not commanding him. He's not ordering anything. He just goes, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. You know, it's like you say, man, I could have had a V8. Or, you know, ah, man, I could go for a burger right now. Or something like that. And somebody hears that. Uh, and, and so what happens these guys hear, these three guys hear him say that. So they decide they're going to go and get him the water. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. And there's other details of the really fascinating stuff that these guys did. But this is one of the things that these three mighty guys did. Now, I want you to take a picture. Figure, get a picture in your mind of what happens here. David just says, man, could I have... Well, I wish I could have a drink of water from from Bethlehem. And then these three guys, they just overhear him. Well, the king said he wants some water. Now, if these guys were Americans, it would have ended there. Because I only do what I'm qualified to do, and I'm not going to do something less than my, you know, go get a water boy. He needs a water boy to get him some water. These guys don't think in those terms. Why? They are focused on one thing, serving the king. They want to serve David. So when they hear this, they say, well, we, we better go get him go get him a drink of water. So these guys set out. Now, I want you to figure, I mean, this would be like in World War II. Some general saying, man, I, I would really love to have a bratwurst from Berlin. And then three guys break through the German lines, get to Berlin, order a bratwurst, bring it back to him with mustard and garlic and all. So this is what these guys do. They hear him say, Man, I could use some water from the, from Bethlehem's well, okay? Now, I would, at a minimum, i just say, you know, somebody got a, you know, bottle of water. You know, give it, give it to David. Anybody got some water? And just give him, no! Because David said he wanted water from there. So these guys break through the lines. Now, I'm pretty sure they didn't just go, you know, excuse me. You know, can, can I get in here, you know? These three butt kickers come. They find a point in the line. They bust through the lines. Who knows how many heads they bust, or how many people they kill to get through the lines. Go, get the water, hurry up, we gotta get out of here. Grab the water, and then they gotta carry the water, and the water's heavy. And I don't think they had plastic bottles. You know, there's probably some, you know, fling, or they're tugging around, and they gotta, and here's the thing, when you break through the line, the bad news is you gotta break back out. Right? So, so they gotta fight, and fight their way through, and, and they bring it to the king. David. And David pours it out. I would be seriously hacked. I just risked my neck to get you this water. You pour it out. But it didn't matter. He said he wanted It's so all I serve David. Oh, my goodness. These are guys, this is way beyond their pay grade to go get some water. But they served. They were focused on serving. David's men knew that even though they were great warriors at a fundamental level, all they knew that mattered is that they served David. You know, in American churches, whenever the subject of servant comes over, if you were to Google it because, you know, we prepare for these things, and what you see, all these sermons on servant leadership, and they have uh, uh, classes on servant leadership, and you know, conferences where everyone discovers discusses servant leadership. You know, only in America is our version of serving only in the context of I'm still in charge. Right? I'm not, I'll be a servant as long as I can still tell people what to do. I'm a servant leader. No, Jack. A servant is a servant, and usually they're not leaders. All right? A great leader is a servant, but not just everybody is a servant leader. Okay? The thing with a servant, servants don't generally be in charge of things. They only do what advances the wishes and the desires of whoever's in charge of them. Jesus talks about this in Luke, the 17th chapter. He's describing what a servant is. The Bible talks about servant. This is not a new concept. You all have heard this, right? You read in the Bible, you know, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, you know, uh, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, he gives a picture of what servant. You have to start, not think, you know, American contemporary concepts, but 2,000 years ago. So in Luke 17, chapter 17, verse 7, Jesus says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat? Now, I would think that's exactly what I'd say. Okay. That my Siri is talking to me. Will you stop? <laughs> I keep pushing buttons accidentally in there. to I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. That's okay, they, they, neither do they. But anyway, so, because uh, I, <laughs> I tend to ramble. No one understands what I'm saying. So, he, Jesus says, when a servant's am working in the field, when he comes in, he says, man, sit down, and take a rest. Now, we would. I would, wouldn't you? If someone's working really hard, I've had guys working for me around the house, and, you know, they, they get tired or something, and you know, I says, man, you want, you want some lemonade? A cup of coffee? I mean, you're offering things, you know, take a break and stuff. i it's exactly like somebody's been working all stinking day long and they come in the house. Sit down, man. Let me make you something to eat. Is what I, You want a sandwich? I'll make you a ham sandwich. That, that's what I would think. But in this context, Jesus knew, no, you don't do that. It's hard for us to comprehend that, but you have to understand in this concept, in this year, 2,000 years ago, you don't offer servants anything. And he's saying this as an absurd concept, hard for us to relate to. He's almost saying this like a joke. Like he says, would you offer your servant, when he comes in, sit down and get something to eat? He knew the answer was, of course not. Of course not. He said, won't he rather say, hey, Jack, make me something to eat. Prepare my supper. Get yourself ready. Wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you can eat and drink. Wouldn't you rather do that? Again, we wouldn't do that. Unless you're really cold. But in Jesus' day, and he's, this is the Lord. He's not being mean. This is the culture in which they were in. You don't do this. What you do instead is when he comes in and he's all hot and sweaty, say, okay, hey, you know, and what have you been doing all day long? You know, watching I Love Lucy reruns. I don't know. So the, so the guy comes in and he's, hey, make my supper. Yes, sir, right away. Do you, do you see how shocking this is to our culture? I, who would do this? But this was normal to them. This is what you do to a servant. This is what a servant is. This isn't a servant leader. This is a servant. His job basically sucks, all right? He's told what to do, and he does it, and he doesn't get a break. No one expects him to give him a break. Jesus said the very idea of giving him a break is absurd. Not to us. We live in a different time, but back then it was absurd. Then he says, "Will he thank the servant because what he did, what he was told to do?" I would, wouldn't you? Man, I got people come over to my house and do work for me. Thanks, thank you, because I'm clueless. You know, I just had someone cl- fix my toilet yesterday. You know why? Because I don't know anything about toilets. Well, well I, know, I know how to use one, but I. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> Yeah, that Leon went fixed my toilet from yesterday. You, you know, so he comes and I'm thinking, "Thank God, thank you, Leon." And he's yeah. So how much? He said, X, and I gave him more. That's what I do. I'm grateful. Thank you. Shouldn't want have people just be very grateful. Jesus said, "Would you thank him?" The implication is, of course not. Do you see how shocking this is? This is the Lord telling them what a servant is. Would you tell the servant after a long day to relax? For him? No. You tell him, go get something. And would you thank him for what he did? Of course not. Wow. Kind of harsh, wouldn't you say? So you also, he says, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. That's what a servant is. When these men wrote in the Bible, I am a servant of God. I'm a servant of the church. This wasn't servant leadership, you know, where you drive around in a nice car and get to say nice messages as long as you're serving people. No. This was a lousy, creepy job. They were there to serve Christ and to serve others. How can I serve you without even a remote hint of receiving thanks for what they do? A recognition for what they do. Well, we are so far from this, you, you can't even get your head around it. It's stunning. Man, I like servants. I, I like going to South Africa <laughs> or some of these other countries where they have, you know, everybody has servants. They whine, gee, hey, you Americans, you know, you have so great in America. Yeah, you come here, you're going to do everything yourself. All right? All the time, all the people in the South, I can't wait to come to America. So, yeah, so you can do everything. You have no idea how good you have it. When we were there, man, we were staying in and, and, and this little place, and the servants came every day and cleaned everything. No matter what you did, you left, you came back, everything was perfect again. Everything was picked up, hung. They did the laundry every day. Every day. Seriously, next time I'm going over, I'm taking like two pairs of underwear because that's all, that's all you got to do because they clean it every day. where I was at. That's what they did. I want to sit at that same place, praise the Lord. And when it came time to pack and come home, how many of you like packing? Big, they knew we were gonna pack. They knew, it was like, like David's men heard. So yeah, we're gonna, we gotta go pack. And, uh, so by the time we get there, because we're dragging, we don't wanna do it, you know. We walk in, everything's packed already. And I mean, not Mark Gunger version of packing. <laughs> you know, roll it in a ball, stuff it in there, jump on top, you know, put some more, it folded. Perfectly folded. Organized and all. We walk in, oh, I really like this. This is nice. And I thank them. And I gave my big yo mama tip because I wanted to do it again. Okay? because That's us. But a true servant from what Jesus is saying, in this culture, you would never thank them. You would never tip them. You wouldn't even acknowledge them. In fact, it would be wrong to do so. That's the kind of culture he's writing, talking from. He's saying, Would you do this? Of course not. Everybody listen, of course not. I said, Well, that, that's 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 right. He says, That's the way you should act. Oh man. And we are supposed to be servants. Do you know what a servant does? A servant does whatever somebody tells him to do. Period. Just tells him to do. Now this is very idealistic. And, I'm, and again, I'm, I can't even get my head or I'll be honest. I still, I look at this and I just, every fuse I, all pops in my head. I, I, I've got a long way. If you're anything like me, you got a long way to get to here. Nonetheless, we must teach the truth. And the truth is we're supposed to be servants. From an idealistic perspective, as the pastor of this church, I should be able to walk up to any one of you and ask you to do something and you just do it. I said, I want you to do this, and you do that, and you guys clean the toilet next week, and you do, that, and you serve the community, and a yeah, true servant would have all. Oh, of course, yes, sir. That's what they do. Now, that's idealistic. I tell most of you, are going to tell me to stick it. All right, I get that. <laughs> Why? Because we don't quite get the concept of servant. And sometimes we we're not going to. That's, that's beneath me, right? Especially if you're a highly educated man or woman. I'm like, hand out communion for heaven's sakes. So anybody can do that. You know? But when you have an attitude of service, you just do whatever. you know. I should be able to come to Jeff Bricker. You guys although know Jeff at Stevens Point. You guys know. And say, Jeff, I want to put you in charge of our compassionate counseling ministry. And you go, yes. Now, now I wouldn't do that because Jeff is military. You, know. you go whining to Jeff, he's going to make it drop and give him 50. You know what I'm saying? You're not feeling good about yourself? Good. Get down. Give me 50. All right. So I probably wouldn't do that, but he'd do it because he's a servant. You know, Jerry Enders at our Apple campus, you know, he's an older feller in his 70s probably. At least I'm guessing, Jerry, hopefully you're not 20. But I mean, I say, Jerry, I want you to be in charge of the, the teen ministry. You know, Jerry probably do it. Now, it's not a good idea because, you know, last time he was a teen was a long time ago. You know, uh, I, I, I said in the first service, I, I, I should be able to come to Pastor Joe and say, Pastor Joe, you're going to be in charge of the toddlers. And I said back then, in the first service, I said, and he'd do it. It would be a bad idea. <laughs> but he'd do it. And then someone, we said to him out in the foyer, said, you know, Mark said, he can put you in, front of the, in, in charge of the toddlers. He goes, okay. See, that's, that's Joe. That's exactly what he'd do. I I know this man. If I asked him to do to toddlers, he'd do it. And and most of you mothers would kill me in a week, all right? (laughs) He doesn't know what he's doing, all right? But that's the idea of servanthood. We should be servants. Now, what we want to do is help you to discover your gifts and strength so that we can stick you in the right places, okay? But don't become obsessed by what you do. The reason I'm saying this is because this has been a problem as long as I have been involved in churches, and I've been, you know, since the 1800s, I've been involved in churches. And if there's one thing, you have someone, this is my ministry, and you mess with that minute, they get mad as a heart and they leave the church. You got someone who's involved in the youth department, that's says, ministry, I, I, I'm a youth minister, that's what I do and I am serving the youth ministry, and then the pastor comes and says, we're gonna change how we do that. They get mad, like a bunch of cats. Wah. They get mad and leave the church. Get a bunch of musicians up there in your them we're gonna do something different. That's my ministry. We've seen this forever. In fact, whenever we try to do change, we all do it with fear and trembling because we don't want to tick off the cats. The truth is we shouldn't have to worry about that. If you are passionately crazy in love with toddlers, and I say, listen, I really need you to help out over here in the greeters. If you are a true servant of heart, you go, yes, pastor. You know, what I'm saying? Right my gifting in my ministry is working with doctors. Actually, a few people sign up for that anyway, but I'm just saying. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to avoid. Hopefully you're hearing me. We're going to next week talk about how to discover your talents and gifts. And That's what this uh, program is that we get you involved in so you can learn some of these things and do this discovery, and, and that's why it exists. So that we can, And it's great. And, and when you can start doing what you innately are gifted to do, you'll love it. But all I'm saying is, number one, from last week, don't let it define you. This is not what you do does not f- define you. And secondly, more important than what you do, to understand the fundamental thing, our main purpose, what undergirds our very existence here, what can I do to serve others? and to have the attitude of a servant. And we all got a long way to go, including me, because this version of servant is painful to read, much less to live out. But to remember, what can I do? Don't be guarding your territory, as it were. Always have an open heart. What can I do to help other people? So, number one, we want people to know God. Number two, we want them to find freedom. Number three, this growth track. I hope you sign up for it it's the, every month we repeat it uh, part of that is to help you discover your purpose what are your giftings and stuff and then fourth to make a difference and, and we'll eventually get to that i'm going to ask our ushers to get up you servants <laughs> 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 grab the communion and stuff <laughs> and i'm not gonna thank yeah i'll thank you later i'm i very appreciate it for what you do but these are people serving get the communion at the different campuses okay everybody get the communion Uh, Come forward, and now we're going to go into the time of communion in our our services. Now this is where we reflect on what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. He died on that cross. His body was broken so we could be whole. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. All of this is important. Why? Because this is how we get to know God. We're not talking about knowing about him. Lots of people know about him. A lot of people say, man, I went to church for years. I, did I know about God. I know about communion. You might understand all this. stuff." But the question, do you know him? There's a difference between actually knowing him and knowing about him. So yes, I, I get this email yesterday. How many of you guys, you geezers, anywhere close to my age, remember uh, the comedian Yakov Shmirnoff? Uh, the Russian comedian, you guys remember him? Yeah, he was a hilarious guy. He was on David Letterman. He was like a rock star back in the day, okay? So, um, he emails me, because I know the guy. And he says, hey Mark, give me a call. So, yeah, so I'm calling him, I'm talking back to him, and, and uh, I was telling the guys, you know, explaining who he is. Oh yeah, you know, you know who he is? Yep, yep. now they know who he is, but I know him. There's a difference between knowing who somebody is. It was a great talk. He, he wants to do some kind of a comedy relationship thing in Russia. <laughs> wants to go back, invade his homeland. It'd be hilarious, I'd love to go with him. We'll see what happens. But there's a difference between knowing about somebody, you can read about him, you can watch his clips on YouTube. But I, I, I know him, you see, we're friends. We talk, we get around. I call him and say, hey, you crazy Russian, what are you doing? Mark, i like to talk to you, you know. Still has an accent after all these years. Do you know Jesus? Or do you just know about him? If you've never truly encountered Christ, we're going to say a prayer together. I'm going to invite everybody in Appleton and Stevens Point, everybody here, uh, to bow your heads with me. We're going to pray a prayer together to ask you to repeat this prayer with me. If you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, this is your first step of faith you can take so that you can encounter Him and truly get to know Him. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God and that you love me so much you went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. And I now surrender myself to you. Amen. All right, now we're going to pass the communion. And uh, uh, they're going to you know, just take the little wafer and then the cup. Uh, most of it's wine. The outside ring is grape juice, so if you don't want to take the wine. But just hold it, and then we'll take communion all together after everyone's been served and the campus pastors are gonna come at this time and take over the rest of the service.